This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good morning, and I am joined from the University of Minnesota with, by Mary Meyer. Mary, good to hear from you once again. Hope you're doing well. Denny, doing very well. Great to hear your voice. Happy mid-January, where every day is getting longer. Isn't that true? You can notice it for sure. And uh, I, uh, I, I'm pleased, like a lot of folks are, that we do have snow cover for our lawns and shrubs. Yes, it's very important. So far, we have had a mild winter, uh, enough snow cover to hopefully keep our boxwood and other yes. other more tender things uh, safe from uh, colder temperatures. But yeah, temperatures overall have been mild. And there are always a few things to do in the garden uh, in the winter. But we have had uh, Mother Nature has been cooperating so far this year. Absolutely. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, you want to chat with Mary, you want to send Mary a text, it's the same number, 651-989-9226. And if you're familiar with the show, you know we tend to get real busy real fast. So if you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, don't wait. Uh, We uh, occasionally run out of time. We usually run out of time uh, before we run out of questions. So call us or text us, 651-989-9226. Nine two two six. Uh, what's going on at the Arboretum these days? I always like to ask you that. Yes. Well, the Arboretum has it's open. Uh, you can uh, easily get a ticket to come out there. Everyone needs to have a ticket, even members. But that's easy to do on the website. I was looking at it this morning, and they're openings for all, all day today. Normally, we have a very good uh, walking uh, trail, um, but because of the icy conditions, things are not as good right now. But the walking conditions are always listed online, and there is a phone number for a trail information line that you can always call to get up-to-date information. Uh, The snowshoe trails are open, but some of the other trails and the walking, three-mile walk was closed uh, when I looked earlier today because of icy conditions. But the Arboretum, uh, the Visitor Center is open, the gift shop's open, and there is a new exhibit there in the Reedy Gallery. 
And then during the week, there are many different opportunities for online classes at the Arboretum as well. So check out the website and uh, weather permitting, it, it's a great place to walk around. There's There are 10 things to do in January posted uh, at the website, uh, features with a library, with online classes, with yoga via Zoom. So lots of uh, various opportunities at the Arboretum. Always like to say it's a great resource. Um, we were getting uh, trimming questions, uh, tree trimming questions, Mary, uh, coming in via text. Uh, first one says, is it okay to trim coniferous trees this time of year? Yes, you can trim uh, conifers this time of year. Uh, during the holidays, I often do some pruning for uh, using um, evergreens. You You can do it this time of year. The issue with, especially with icy conditions, ice and snow on evergreens tends to really weigh them down, and they can become very, very brittle. So you have to be very careful when you, if you think you're going to help them out, help the plant out by removing ice or snow, you can often do more damage than good. So you you just have to be very careful that um when you're pruning, uh, you don't actually break off more than you want to. And I always advise people to really do not try to remove ice or snow thinking you're going to help them plant out because usually everything just starts to break off. Uh, but, but a certain amount of pruning you can do right now. So I recall, Mary, last week we had a few text messages for Julie about, I can't remember what the critter was called, but they were, uh, they were like gnats. And uh, she was talking about uh, larvae being in the soil itself and then becoming the adult stage, and that's what you're seeing flying around. What what are those called? Do you recall that? Yes, those are those little uh, animals, little insects, the fungus gnats. They look like a tiny fruit fly, yes. and they actually do complete their life cycle in the soil. So many times they are in the soil of plants that we bring in um, as house plants. And um, they're really more of a nuisance than anything, and they um, they do live mostly in the soil. Uh, they lay their eggs in the soil and then hatch out in the warmer temperatures of our home. Uh, we have some recommendations on the website about how to control those. One of the easier things that I've heard people do, now I haven't done this myself, is that you cut a slice of a potato, mm. yes, a potato, like an Irish potato, and you put a chunk of potato in the soil of your houseplant, and the larvae tend to congregate on that potato. It's a source of starch or food for them. And so you can use that kind of as a trap to get fungus gnats. And then, of course, you throw the potato piece away, and you throw a lot of the larvae away with that. Um, there are also some soil drenches that you can do, etc. But if you don't have a lot of them, they're not really fatal. And most times they don't do much damage to the plants. They're really feeding on the organic matter that are in the soil of our house plants. Interesting. I'll tell you what, Mary, we need to take a real quick break, but uh, let's invite our listeners to join in on the conversation. Soil of our house plants. Interesting. I'll tell you what, Mary, we need to take a real quick break, but uh, let's invite our listeners to join in on the conversation. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, uh, call it in or text it in. Uh, it is the same number, 651-989-9226, if you want to chat with Mary or uh, send Mary your text, 651 989 
888-900-9226. 29 degrees in the Twin Cities. We'll uh, be right back after this break here on News Talk A3O-WCCO. Good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show around every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. This morning, Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota is helping you out this morning by phone and by text. So any kind of a lawn or garden question, you can call us or send a text. Same number again, 651-989-9226. Got a bunch of text messages, uh, Mary, That uh, so I don't get too far behind here. Let's get to them. Uh, best time to prune a Marshall ash. Marshall ash. Okay, I would do that uh, pruning just um, in the springtime as the uh, what? Uh, okay, wait a minute. Ash, ash tree. Uh, I would do that in the winter. In the winter time, when uh, the tree is pretty much totally dormant. So now is a good time to do that. Um, so really, when the tree is dormant, is the best because of ash. And our emerald ash borers, we really recommend minimal pruning during the actual growing season for ash. So right now is the best time to do that. Good, uh, good thing for oak trees as well, right, Mary? Yes, exactly. We are in the safe time for oak pruning uh, November through March, right? Okay. Here's a text that says, I have a coffee plant that might be suffering from, quote, rust. Is there a way to treat this? Well, rust is usually not a fatal disease for most of our houseplants and and our ornamentals. Different story when it comes to wheat. But for coffee, I would, uh, gosh, uh, I would first try to figure out exactly if you really have rust. Um, and uh, look at some pictures online for rust on a coffee plant. Um, that is not a disease I'm very familiar with on, on a coffee plant. Um, I would also try to keep the foliage as dry as possible because rust is often associated with moisture on the foliage. So you want to make sure that you don't miss the plant or anything like that. But I would first Try to determine if that's exactly what you have. Uh, you can take a picture of that and send it to Ask a Master Gardener or look up online trying to match pictures with coffee, trees, and rust. I would have to look that up myself because coffee is not something we grow that much here in Minnesota. So I assume it's an indoor plant. So I think maybe the uh, issue is too much moisture on the plant, on the foliage. Okay. Speaking of moisture, here's a texture that says, how much should we water Christmas cactus? You want to water a Christmas cactus when the top of the soil is dry, and then water it thoroughly so the water runs out the bottom, and then let it dry again on top. So depending on the size of the container, the size of the pot, um, and the soil type, it's really tough to give you an exact time, number of days between watering. You might water once a week. You might water once every 10 days. 
Uh, and a Christmas cactus can tolerate a little bit drier soil conditions. So I would uh, test it on the top of the soil to see if it's uh, dry. Wait, let it dry out in between waterings and then thoroughly uh, water it. Christmas cactuses um, really are a, a great indoor plant. Uh, they are, they're a tough plant and they're one that can flower consistently indoors. So they're a, they're a good plant for uh, lots of people to grow inside pretty easy. We always like to talk about, uh, Mary, the uh, University of Minnesota, the website, uh, the extension.umn.edu. Great reading, whether winter or summer, <laughs> but if you're stuck inside yeah. the house like we are, it's great reading. Yes, great reading, and we also have our Yard and Garden News, which comes out once or twice a month, uh, depending on the season, and I was just looking at that this morning because we have uh, a few new practices to start your gardening year off right, so several extension uh, colleagues came up with what's a, what are the two, rec- one or two recommendations for gardeners for this year. So it's fun to look through those things and get some, get some ideas for the year coming up ahead. And the same thing, I, don't be, I may be jumping the gun here, but uh, there, there's a great uh, information about lawns, you know, a certain process of fertilization and the care of, uh, of your yard, too. Yes, right. So, yes, things you can do year-round. We've got calendars for different, uh, for the lawn calendars, uh, one of our sites that's um, used uh, a great deal. But a lot of prevention information about if you're uh, thinking about growing some new vegetables, new plants, new herbs or something, you can look up and see what uh, pests might be coming on those plants so you can be forewarned and think about prevention. A lot of our gardening really is knowing what to expect and to be on the um, on the offensive really and thinking about what am I going to do in anticipation of potato bugs or squash vine borers because if you're ahead of the insects you can often reduce the damage and then you don't have to worry about oh am I going to have to use some chemical or other uh, other type of prevention uh, if you you Think it, think ahead uh, helps a lot with gardening. Yeah, a little being proactive. Uh, here's right. a text. And by the way, if you want to send uh, Mary a text, 651-989-9226. And this one says, I have started a trumpet flower from seed. It is now about 12 inches tall. Seems to be doing well, except for one thing. Once a week, one bottom leaf drops off. The other leaves are fine. There doesn't seem to be any pests. The plant likes a fair amount of water, but I allow it to dry out between watering. Uh, it is uh, in, a, in a warm room under lights. What's up with the dropping one leaf? Well, I think it's just uh, uh, the plant's way of keeping in balance with the amount of carbohydrates it can produce versus the, um, you know, the lower light conditions that we have indoors. So the fact that new leaves continue to come out is a good sign, but until you can provide it with really the brighter sunlight conditions uh, that we have in the summertime, I think it might just keep to uh, a certain balance there with with, uh, the number of leaves it has. So, yeah, where you have it, what you're doing sounds right. It sounds good. I would... um, 
on the days we do have sun, make sure that it's in the south window or west window where it gets as much light as possible. More light will help to decrease the leaf drop. Okay. As you know, Mary, we have the smartest listeners, and uh, they always uh, get in touch with us with the comments or or uh, some ideas. And we were talking about um, those fungus gnats. And this text says another trick for fungus gnats used by commercial growers is a layer of sand about an eighth of an inch thick or so on top of the soil. Have you ever heard of that? Actually, I have. Yes, that's a great idea also. I'm sorry I, I forgot to mention that. But there again, um, that's a good uh, uh, non-chemical control. Uh, fungus gnats, because of the silica in sand, those sharp edges, the larvae, which are tiny maggots uh, of the, the fungus gnat, they don't like that sharp coarseness of the sand. And so that's they avoid that or they die, get cut, and so on. So, yeah, so that's a great um, great prevention and uh, help to reducing fungus gnats is to put a, a thin layer of sand on top of the soil. Would uh, diatomaceous earth do the same thing, do you think? Yes, uh, yes. That's a little harder to come by, but yes, the crust oh, okay. crushed up seashells, they're coarser and they tend to be sharper than uh, sand. And so, yes, that's another control for slugs, any of the the larvae that hate that uh, those sharp edges because they can be killed on that. I'll tell you what, we need to take a break, and we're going to have a look at that uh, that forecast. Uh, Mary's going to be with us for about another half hour, maybe a little shy of that. So don't wait. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, call it in or text it in, and we'll field those questions for you. 651-989-9226. Smart Garden returns here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Good Saturday morning to you. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Denny Long along with Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota answering your lawn and garden questions this morning. As usual, we're here every uh, Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour, by the way. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, you could send it by text or uh, call Mary if you want to chat with Mary. 651-989-9226. That same number will get you either a text or or the phone call. 651-989-9226. All right, Mary, we have a bunch of text messages as well. Let's see, where do we leave off? Okay, here it is. Uh, got a hibiscus uh, summer of 2019, bloomed till fall when I took it in the house, grew very tall, and in May of 2020, put back outside, cut it down some, has not bloomed again, have it in the house now, growing very tall again. Do you think it will bloom this summer? Yes, I do think it can bloom this summer. Um, hibiscus are a great house plant and an outdoor plant for us to grow. They do like a lot of sun. And I would say if it's actively growing and in your house, I, I think fertilizer might actually be the limiting factor in bloom. There, I don't say that very often for plants, but if it's growing and it's getting tall, uh, but it, it could be a lack of fertilizer. So I would try some liquid fertilizer. You might use a dilute um, amount, so maybe half strength, 
and about every two weeks in the in the winter time now I put fertilizer on it and if you give it as much light as possible gradually increase it to full sunlight outside you shouldn't have any problem with it blooming very very good uh, let's see who is next here uh, how to get rid of red blotch on my amaryllis, which has two flowering stems, Texter wants to know. Gosh, I don't know what the red blotch is. Um, amaryllis is a great plant to uh, have now during the winter to, have to flower indoors. Lots of people give those for Christmas gifts. They normally take six to eight weeks after they start to grow um, from the bulb in order for them to flower. But red blotch, um, so I assume that's something on the foliage. I, I don't know what that is. Um, I would say take a picture of that, uh, send it in to Ask a Master Gardener. That is our um, online uh, answer service at the extension.umn.edu website. All right, very good. Good idea. Uh, let's go to the phones. I think Steve is calling in from Champlin this morning. Steve, thank you for waiting. What is your question? Hi, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. I am uh, wondering about, I had a freestanding swimming pool through the years with the kids, and the chlorine soaked, well, the, all the soil around the pool. And it does, nothing seems to grow there, so is there any kind of neutralizer or anything like that I can put in there or on there? And uh, I'll hang up and listen to the answer. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. Yes, Steve. Um, No, unfortunately, I don't know of any chemical that is going to uh, take care of that. Chlorine does evaporate eventually. And uh, I, I think the best thing for you to do is to continue to water that area to try to dilute it. Um, if this is a repeat thing, so you put the pool there every year, so chlorine is going to be there and building up year after year, it could be harder to get rid of it. Uh, if it's possible, I would say rotate or move where you have the pool. But um, with with more rainfall, a lot of rainfall and just time, the chlorine really should uh, dissipate. But I, I don't know of any other way you could treat that. Okay. Uh, Texter wants to know, how often does basil need water when grown indoors? When I water, should it be from underneath or through the top of the pot? Well, I had a basil plant that I uh, got just from the grocery store one of these potted basil plants and I put it in a larger pot and I could not believe how often I had to water that. Mm. I had it in a clay pot and of course clay takes, uh, it does um, dry out faster in a clay pot, but basil is a very thin leaf. Uh, The thinner the leaf on a plant and the wider, bigger the leaf, the more we're going to have to water it. But I was watering it almost every two days. I I couldn't believe it. So uh, because our homes are dry and the the plant uh, has a large leaf that's very thin, you might have to water it quite often. And as long as it's well-drained and the water is running out the bottom of the pot, um, that's okay. So uh, maybe a lot is how often you're going to have to water your basil. <laughs> Very good. Let's go back to the phones, Mary. I think Phyllis is calling in from New Richmond. Phyllis, you are on with Mary Meyer. Um, hello. I planted some paper white 
bulbs that I purchased from a florist. And uh, they've been in the dirt now for probably six weeks at least. I have really tall, probably 18-inch fronds, but no flowers. Oh, what a disappointment. Um, yes, it, you know, I think you're doing everything that you could have done. Uh, six weeks, wow, they should have bloomed by now. Um, that's unfortunate that they haven't. And normally a bulb, especially a newly purchased bulb, is something we can almost always count on with 100% that that bulb will flower for us. Uh, paper whites are one of the bulbs that don't need a cold treatment. They can actually, they'll flower better than many of the others. So I'm, I'm sorry that that has not been the case for you. Um, as far as getting really, really tall, that's pretty normal uh, in in uh, warm conditions of our homes. We see that. Uh, there are some crazy ideas, not really crazy, but alcohol in the water will actually make our bulbs uh, shorter and stockier. Uh, but too much alcohol obviously will kill the bulb. You know what I would do if this was if if I were you, I would uh, if you can remember, where did you get the bulbs? I would go back to the retailer and ask them and certainly report to them. They may have some other ones still there and give you a replacement or give you a credit. But you really should let them know because um, I think the fault was in how perhaps how old those bulbs were or how they were stored before you got them. Mary, a texter wants to know how much and how often should you water aloe vera plants? Well, aloe vera are uh, a wonderful healing plant that we use because their sap is great for an, an ointment for burns and cuts. Uh, they're in the cactus uh, cactus group of plants, so they don't need much water. So you don't have to worry about um, watering them on uh, very often at all. Uh, I would let the soil thoroughly dry out on top and then water them until it runs out the bottom. Depending on the size of the pot, you could be watering them every two or three weeks. It's not very often. Hmm. Another uh, fungus gnat question. Uh, it uh, <laughs> says this, I bought yellow sticky traps and put in several houseplants. Only one plant has the fungus gnats on the trap. This plant has never been outside, but I may have added extra potting soil to the plant last fall. So my question is, do you think the bag of potting soil will have the fungus gnats? I was going to repot my plant after washing off the roots, but don't want to use bad soil. That comes from Diane. Yes, Diane. So it's possible. The fungus gnat larva might be in the potting soil. I would say that's usually not where it's coming from. And I think it's, you know, the, the yellow sticky traps, another good way to, um, to control fungus gnats. It could be that they just got on that trap card that you put in that plant and weren't really coming from the soil in that plant. So they move around and they can fly around. And so they, the larva could be in one pot and have gone to the trap on another pot. So it doesn't necessarily mean they were directly on that that particular one. That is another control method. Sometimes um, I have read about putting a plastic bag around a plant and putting mm. the sticky trap on the inside so that, the, you know, you can find the fungus gnats in that environment of the plastic bag. 
And of course, that's a temporary thing, and you'd have to be careful about encasing any plant in a plastic bag for any length of time. You'd have to have open it up, and uh, that's kind of problematic, putting yeah. it in a plastic bag. I would say. Tuxter wants to know, what's the proper care for a Venus flytrap? Oh, wow, cool. A Venus flytrap as a houseplant. <laughs> so this is, this is um, uh, one of our actually native plants. But they're, it's a very small plant and really cool. I have never grown a Venus flytrap plant. Um, and I would usually, I think of them as a boggy plant. They kind of like moist conditions. They're small, so they're not going to need a very big container. Uh, high humidity, good light conditions. And I think pretty regular watering. Um but there again, I would have to look that up uh, because that's so uh, specific. And let me just jump in here, say, Denny. And you remember yeah. we had that coffee and rust question? Yes, yes. So I did look that up, and I was just about as far off base as you can be in talking <laughs> about coffee rust, which is something I have no, almost no knowledge of uh, at all. Coffee rust is the most economically important coffee disease in the world. It is mm. a huge, big deal. And so I would say to the listener, if they're still listening and um, has rust on a coffee plant, I would get rid of that plant. I would get a new coffee plant because um, uh, sanitation, you can try to clean up that foliage, cut off the leaves that have the rust, but that is a devastating disease that can kill your plant. And so uh, if you think you have gotten rid of it, great, but if you have any doubt, I would just start over because um, it is devastating in coffee plantations and uh, very difficult to control. But they did talk about high, high moisture, which uh, in, increases the rust, but it is really uh, a big big problem with coffee plants. Interesting. All right, Mary, we need to take a quick break, and I want to alert Marlis. You'll be next on the phone, and we have other text messages. Plants. Interesting. All right, Mary, we need to take a quick break, and I want to alert Marlis. You'll be next on the phone, and we have other text messages to help out, too, uh, here on our Smart Garden Show, News Talk 830-WCCO. Stay with us. And we're back with more Smart Garden Show here on News Talk A3OWCCO. Denny Long, along with Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. And, as usual, Mary, callers and texters. And I know we have limited time here. Let's. We promised Marlis that she'd be next uh, from Farmington. Marlis, thanks for hanging on. What's your question for Mary? Yes, good morning. Love your show. Thanks. I have an amaryllis that I've had for about seven years. It's had some babies. Uh, this last year, I, I left one with it, so it's in a, a big pot, which was out over summer. And then I put it in a brown bag in the closet after the leaves had browned off, and I cut them off. Now it's time to wake it up, and I'm wondering if I'm always doing this right. Do I wait for the leaves to just start coming up? Do I water it a little bit? I'm not real sure on that. Um, Marla, thanks for your question. Wow, seven years for an amaryllis. Good for you. Uh, well, it, amaryllis are kind of forgiving. Uh, you don't have to give them a dormant period, but if you do, it's okay. And you can do either way. Uh, most of the times I have started watering them again. 
And I usually back up six to eight weeks from when I want to see the flowers. And that's when I start watering them and uh, then bring the bulbs up into a bright, sunny location. So water, in addition to light, will start the growth of the bulb again. And so um, you don't have to wait for it to start. You can decide uh, it's, it's been dormant long enough and then start watering it. But what you're doing and putting it outside is really what it needs. So they, the bulbs need a lot of uh, energy in order to flower again. And that for us in Minnesota, that usually means putting them outside in the summer. Okay. Let's see. Who's next? Uh, Sharon, I think, is next, calling in from Stashfield. Uh, Sharon, you're on with Mary. Hi. On, on, on the net issue, my daughter... And I bought the same brand of soil, but at different times, and we both ended up with the bugs. Bad. Bad, yes. So uh, I was just looking at our extension.edu website on uh, houseplants, and we have a wonderful uh, uh, page there about managing problems with houseplants and a long list of insects that can get on your houseplants and fungus gnats are one of those. So um, they are more problematic and troublesome for us than they really are for the plants. Um, Unless you're a commercial producer who has a huge number of these, they're more of a nuisance than anything else. But none of us like to see these things flying around uh, in our homes in the winter, even though they're very small. They're a tiny little thing. And the potting soil can can vary. The fungus snaps do like a high percentage of peat moss. So soils that are moist and kept moist, and that's what peat moss does, that promotes those fungus gnats and increases the probability that they will be in um, the container that you have. Um, They're kind of ubiquitous. And so it is hard to say exactly, um, did they come from this plant or did they come from the potting soil or, um, you know, where did they come from, from a pot we had outside? And they could come from a number of places. Okay. I think we have time for one more call, Mary, then we'll grab a text or two. Uh, Catherine's calling in from Blaine this morning. Catherine, thank you for waiting. What's your question? Oh, thank you so much for taking my call. I really love your program. Thank you. Uh, Mary, I have two beautiful poinsettias. They're just huge. And I don't know for sure if I'm watering it right or how you do water a poinsettia. Well, poinsettias are uh, one of our plants that take quite a bit of water. And they have a fairly large leaf and that leaf that's thin. So that is a plant that's going to require a lot of water. And uh, in a commercial setting, they have often been on automated watering and watered like nonstop. So they never wilt down. Because of the huge size of the plant, the number of leaves that are on that, they take a lot of water. So I take a poinsettia to a, a sink. I usually take take off that decorative uh, foil that's on the outside. You can actually leave that off um, after after Christmas is over now. I take them to the sink. I put a huge amount of water on them. I let them drain thoroughly. And then it's it's every few days you've got to water them because they take a lot of water. 
Texter wants to know, Mary, how long does it take for a uh, Meyer lemon to fully ripen? I've had five lemons on my one-year-old for about eight months. Well, I would say they're getting ripe. Uh, When they are totally fully ripe and almost too ripe, they'll fall off. Or you could just touch them gently and they will fall off. But at that point, they're almost more ripe than what we would like. Uh, a Meyer lemon is not really yellow. It, it has a quite an orange tint to it when it's fully ripe. But that usually requires a really high sunshine, bright light to get that orangey color. Um, so eight months, yeah, it, it's, it's somewhere between six and 12 to ripen them. So uh, I would say you're getting close. You've got more than one. So you could take a risk and take one off. Um, underripe doesn't really mean it's not going to be edible. They're they're going to be edible. It's just they'll probably have a little bit more sugar and more full flavor when they're fully ripe. If they start to turn a little bit orange, then they're really ripe. Okay, very good. Well, here's an interesting text, Mary. I saw a monarch butterfly last night in our garage that has a temperature of about 50. Do you think it may survive? I do winter over a butterfly bush out there thinking it may be living in that bush. Can you imagine? Isn't it supposed to be in Mexico by now? Oh, yes, it is. Um, But there are monarchs that overwinter here in Minnesota. Uh, that do some some don't make the track. Some do overwinter here. They find a protected location, just go into more of a hibernating state. Uh, well, I would just hope for the best in your garage and hope that it can uh, hunker down there and make it through the winter. Uh, the conditions that you describe sound like it might work. Um, you could also call the. Um, Oh, we have a, a monarch lab, uh, monarch, uh, I'm trying to remember the full name of that, at the University of Minnesota, where uh, with the teachers, uh, kids raise monarch butterflies and so on. And they might give you some uh, additional tips or information. But I, I think the conditions you have are okay. Um, we do have a few more months to go. Many times the ones that overwinter will die uh, pretty quickly in the springtime. They they're not going to live long term, but they will. Um, I think they mate, lay eggs, and then die um, in the springtime. I just had a thought, Mary. I know we're almost out of time, and I I, I don't want to shorten the, the the show for the listeners who have texted in. So when I get off the air today, I'm going to be printing out text messages we did not uh, we were not able to answer, and we'll open up the show next week. With, with those. I appreciate with those. The, Good. the patience. Good idea. We have a minute to go. Maybe a quick answer. Can I trim an American linden tree and what about a birch clump? American linden and birch. Yes, you can prune both of those now in the dead of the winter. This is an okay time to do that. And I did look up the, uh, let's see, Monarch Joint Venture was one of the first uh, websites that came up about with the University of Minnesota Monarch Lab, where hmm. you could uh, ask your question about overwintering monarch butterflies. Excellent. All right. Mary, thank you so much. We're out of time, as usual, and uh, appreciate it. I hope we can talk again real soon, and then you have a good week or two. 
Yes, always a pleasure, Denny. Thanks for uh, sponsoring the show for Extension. You bet. Thank you. Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. Right now in the Twin Cities, we have 29 degrees, uh, maybe a chance for snow late today. Highs in the Twin Cities should be about to 29 and maybe 27 tomorrow. Right now, 29. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 